What is up, ladies and gentlemen? This episode is brought to you. That is right. Father's Day bloke is doing another huge drop. Our first ever matching shirts. And what do I mean by that? We are releasing on Father's Day big bloke and matching little bloke shirts. So the fathers get the big bloke shirt. Obviously, your little fella, he can get a little bloke shirt. Our first ever um, kid uh, merchandise. And also, we've got girl dad and daddy's girl shirts releasing. Plus, kids footies one that says little bloke on it and another one that says daddy's girl on it that is right father's day it is dropping next wednesday at 6 p.m next wednesday 6 p.m very limited supply similar to the jumpers um matching shirts so you you know if you want to buy it for yourself or your partner wants to buy it they can buy your big bloke shirt and then get a, a little bloke shirt that matches it and then you can sit on the couch with your little man watching the rugby league and matching shirt doesn't get much better than that or if you're a girl dad it's a shirt that says girl dad on it and daddy's girl Nothing better for Father's Day. Make sure to set your alarms Wednesday, 6 p.m. Very limited supply, as usual. Let's get straight into it, baby! Just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. I have the great Ruin Sims here. How you going, sister? I'm good. How are you? Very, very good. Thank you. Now, let's just get this out of the way. This reports. That you just come off a 24-hour shift. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did at the fire station. and uh, yeah. But I'm fresh. I'm ready. I'm ready. A 24-hour shift. Yeah. I thought I worked hard, but now I feel <laughs> almost – I feel pathetic, to be honest. I get tired. I'm like – I'm yawning after a four-hour radio show. Oh, that, hey, that's hard. Tough work. Four hours on air, live. How, it's how, tough. How did you become a fiery? Like, what, how does that all come about? Yeah, well, I joined Fire and Rescue New South Wales in 2011, I applied, mm. and um, I just finished playing – rugby union and I needed a break from that and I was looking for a change in career and I had a lot of friends who were fireys and they said look you should just apply for the fireys and I'd been putting it off for ages and and then uh, I thought you know bugger it I'll just I'll just go and apply see what happens because it's so hard to get into like Mm. the intake is like there's nine ten thousand people that apply every time so it's tough to get into Mm. so I just applied and I thought I'll just see how it goes at worst if I don't make it I'll know what it looks like and try again and Mm. I was fortunate to continue making it through each stage and Mm. yeah and then so then I I actually started at college in 2012 and I've been doing it ever since. And what's the process like because like I've only heard you know vague kind of yep it's actually quite um, exhaustive the process to get in. Yeah it's extensive so you do some online testing first and Mm. that's all around cognitive testing and uh, emotional reasoning and you know OH&S sort of things and uh, then once you get through if you make it through that stage they, they cull and then you come uh, back in again and they'll ask you to come and do what's called a pat which is a physical aptitude test uh, there used to be a beep test involved I don't know if they still do it anymore I haven't looked at the recent intakes but yep. we used to have a beep test and then all this sort of physical testing yeah test. and I remember when I did my testing <coughs> you only had to get eight nine I think it was oh, really? yeah you only had to get eight nine yeah. but I did it uh, in uh, I think it was either January or February and it was at Alexandria Fire Station. With That used to be the State College at Alexandria yep. just up the road and the asphalt was like lava. No it way. was so hot. Oh, it no. was stinking hot. Yep. And then uh, and then we had to do obviously, you know, a bit of an obstacle course which included like a ladder like extended ladder lift and mm. dummy drag and all that kind of stuff. And mm. yeah, so it was pretty it was pretty warm. Uh, but yeah, got through that and then started college and uh, I've loved it ever since. No way. Was there did people some people not make it that you would think shoo in and then some people that you thought, "Oh, I don't know if they will make it?" No, I Look, it, 
it depends what they're looking for at the time. They look mm. for different things. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you have a trade or anything like that, it's really highly regarded because yeah. obviously it's very yeah. physical work and mm. you're looking at problem solving on the fly and just using what tools you have to fix whatever problems. Uh, I'd assume as well, like when you go to a place, if you've got a Sparky, he's probably yeah. going to be more switched on as to the dangers of what could be going on. Yeah, well, that's something that we get taught throughout yeah. everything anyway and we constantly do training while we're at work uh, just to con- – continue to stay up to date with things especially with the advent of you know battery powered vehicles and Mm. and all that sort of stuff that's you know we're constantly evolving with that Mm. uh but yes having a sparky on hand is always great yeah it's always very handy i did three years of apprenticeship so oh there you go i'm technically not a sparky but i just say i'm a sparky (laughs) yeah why not yeah yeah, absolutely yeah so sparkies plumbers carpenters builders Mm. everyone it's uh yeah it's a, a good mix of people, uh, mm. but it's a wonderful job. Like, mm. It's it's so fantastic. No two days are the same. Yeah, uh, you get to work with a great bunch of people, and mm. yeah, it's challenging, but at the same time, very fulfilling. And so you would have been uh, definitely on call when the fires hit Australia a few years ago. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Bushfires. Yes. Yep. So what I, was that like? yeah, I got sent down. So we, everyone put their hand up to go and help, and mm. yeah, I was in a strike team that got sent down to Cooma, mm. and uh, sort of looking around that area. And it was so strange because there were those bushfires ripping through, mm. but at the same time at Cooma, the water tower burst, oh. and so there was this big landslide that happened just near the hydroelectric facility out there, and that was obviously one of our main concerns mm. uh, to protect mm. and uh, yeah so it was it was very strange and then even just driving along and you know just going to check for spot fires and things like that just heading out towards uh down towards i think it's jindy down that way mm. and i remember just it was all it was blackened earth as we were driving oh, wow. along and i saw a, a brumby and a foal just in the middle of oh, like wow. just doing that like just trying to find their way through so we just stopped and we put some apples and stuff by the side of the road whatever we had in the truck and yeah. uh you know just sort of kept driving so very confronting yeah uh, obviously more difficult for the people that lived in the area mm. uh but it was you know like i said any chance any of us have to help, we'll always put our hands up. So it was a very tough time for a lot of uh, a lot of families down there. Yeah, because it's it would have been you're going down there to help, but you're also dealing with people in in shock, mm. going through traumatic events. Like you're almost, it, I'd assume it would be part, you're probably taught part of the job to handle that. But when you actually are confronted with that, I'm sure it is actually harder than I guess the theory would tell you I guess yeah it is and you know one of the key things they sort of talk to us about as well is when you go into a traumatic situation you didn't cause the issue but you're there to try and help as much as you can to mitigate what happened or just Mm. to help the people and you know you just got to keep in the back of your mind like you're going into someone's worst day of their life it's the worst day of their life so Mm. you just try and do your best to help them as much as you possibly can Mm. Uh, it's um yeah, it would just because like I think of my obviously not in that traumatic event, but even if I'm having a bad day mm. and I just deal with someone poorly, you got to think about that times a million mm. what these people are dealing with, and you've, you're kind of there to help. At the same time, I'm sure there's times where they're taking their stress out on you, and you've got to find that balance between like taking yourself out of the situation and being like, I'm just don't get, take anything personal, yeah. just kind of 
you're doing here to do a job kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. You can't take it all. You can't take it personally. Yeah. You have to just understand that it's a very stressful situation. Yeah. And yeah. you're just, like I said, you're just there to try and help mm. to mitigate it as much as possible or to try and help make their day a little bit better. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is, but there's also some really great moments that you get yeah. as well. So that's the flip side of it. You do have these really difficult events to deal with, mm. but then on the other side of it, there's, you know, there's funny moments or there's things where you just, you're helping people and they're so incredibly grateful. And yeah. I think it was, especially during those you know, moments of natural disaster, you do get to see true spirit shine through and yeah. just the community spirit that people have. And the whole community, even though they were struggling and under duress and stress and they were losing everything, they would bring scones or they'd bring little sandwiches or something to the yep. station and they'd just always be so grateful. Mm. So, And that's the flip side of it. Yes, I, mm. it's stressful for some people, but then – the kindness that they show you and the gratitude that they have for your work and what you do, mm. uh, that far outweighs the negative. Mm. And i got to know, is it like the movies? Like, is it, is it, when I watch fiery movies, I'm like, man, that looks hectic. Like, like it's draft. so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> is it like that whole uh, Not really. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I don't want to burst your bubble. Yes. Damn it. Yeah, I don't want to burst your bubble. It's a thousand percent like backdraft. No, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no it's, uh, it's very, very different. And each situation mm. is different. You know, we have a very um, clear set of guidelines on how we approach certain fires yep. and you know there there are always hairy moments in any in any job there's mm. always moments where you sort of think oh is this the right idea but you know, on on the whole uh, everyone makes pretty good decisions and yeah we've got a pretty good sort of no heroes going i'll take because I'll <laughs> no. that's what i do i'd rock up i'll take care of everything just and just like, kick the door yeah down absolutely just, shut know. it off yeah <laughs> you have zero fire protection. Yeah, zero. Go in. <laughs> fail. Um, so obviously this year, the NRLW, uh, you know, I, um, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, mate, let's, I'll say 12 years ago, I probably would have said I would never watch women's sport. Mm-hmm. And that's just me being honest. And I think that women's MMA really changed that for me. And obviously NRLW, uh, I just think it has improved so much. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, it's it's at the pinnacle of the game and it's going to – but I just think of the short amount of time that we've seen. Like I saw a, I saw some plays on the weekend where I was like, it's only really been professional – not even profe- – like this is essentially the first year professional. Um, and even there where, you know, obviously can't get, we could get into it but we'd be here all day. Even that is still uh, on the rocks in regards to getting things sorted mm. as a CBA. Um, but the NRLW this year, even with, a, I guess, a – kind of stop-start pre-season, we had the origin before the, the year rather than, you know, during it, has been outstanding. Uh, what You know, what has it been like yourself? You're a, a, I'd say you're a pioneer of women's rugby league to see the girls improve so much and see such a quality product in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I think the um – how quickly it's grown in such a short mm. period of time is amazing, but it's also commensurate to the amount of um, attention and funding and you know, professionalism that's been put into the team as well. So, mm. you know, obviously when uh, 2018, when NRLW first kicked off, mm. originally the NRLW was not slated to start until 2020. Wow. So it was actually accelerated two years because in 2016, I was at the Sharks. Mm. Uh, I signed the first contract in 2016 with Cronulla Sharks and we put together just a little round robin, nines competition. It was us, Dragons, Souths and Newcastle, I mm. believe it was. And 
the amount of attention that that got, the amount of interest that was shown in that then kind of just forced the hand and things were accelerated off yep. the back of that. And mm. I think Todd Greenberg was the CEO at the time and he was very open about saying that. He's like, yeah, it was accelerated because of the amount of interest that was shown. So even to go from 2018 to now, you know, we were speaking off air about how you were working so hard for so long. Yeah. You're amateur, working, doing your podcast and do all this sort of stuff. Yep. When people look at what you do today, they think it's been an overnight success. Mm. It hasn't. It's yeah. been all of these years of difficult work and hard slog behind the scenes. Mm. It's exactly what happened with the NRLW. Mm. We worked so hard for so long. Uh, women before my era doing it all for nothing, selling their cars, getting loans just to go away for World Cups and play football. And then in 2013, that was the first ever year that the Gillaroos didn't have to pay their own way yeah, wow. to go to World Cup. Yeah. And interestingly, it's the first year the Gillaroos ever won a World Cup oh. in 2013. Yeah, so wow. it was no longer <laughs> the best players who could afford to go. Yeah. It yeah. was the best players that they could pick. Yeah. And yeah, that was a massive milestone. That was a massive step forward for the mm. women's game. And it was also Karen Murphy's final year. Yeah. as a player mm. so to send her out as a winning captain after losing for so many years to New Zealand yeah. was fantastic mm. so then you sort of you combine that with then three years later at the Sharks we're, we're saying all right well let's just do this we're mm. going to put it all together ourselves we'll push it through we'll pay our players we'll do all of this and then only two years after that all of a sudden we're seeing a four-team NRLW competition kick mm. off yep so that growth in such a short period of time mm. was epic yeah and i think you'll agree from 2018 to the final game that we saw on sunday afternoon between the raiders and tigers mm. the accelerated skill set speed strength mm. game knowledge kicking all of that sort of stuff has just gone on the steepest trajectory yeah. because clubs are putting more into these teams and mm. they want it to be successful and mm. and clubs are bidding on teams and they have to do it in a way where they present a case to the NRL saying this is what our plan is this is mm. what short term looks like this is what long term looks like and teams are being selected or clubs are being selected on you know what they can do to help grow the game mm. and we're seeing that come out as individual players and yeah. you know I think probably the thing that I'm most proud of is that now, from a pathways perspective, we're seeing girls not having to give the game away anymore yeah. when they turn 12. Mm. There are pathways where these girls can continue to play footy from the age of 12 where they can play up to when they're mixed mm. to all-girl competitions into opens. And it's now a, a much more clear pathway. Mm. And each of the clubs that uh, have NRLW teams are making massive strides in that participation area. Yeah. And one club in particular I know who's uh, not in an NRLW yet, but I think they'll be in the very near future, Penrith, oh. they've got their own NRLW competition and own pathways out there. So when they are ready to put their license in, they are mm. going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what <coughs> impresses me the most, that mm. these clubs are making sure that the pathways exist so that the top level can stay afloat. Yeah. You know, and I think you're probably aware as well that there was a lot of discussion around that the quality of the competition would drop off this year, mm. that it would be much less than previous years. And, you know, I was very vocal at the time saying – it's not the case. The, the players are there. The talent is there. And now the onus is back on the clubs to look for new players and go through – to be really creative with this stuff. Yeah. And that's that's what 
creates diamonds is pressure and pressure creates inventiveness as well. So, you know, to see all of these clubs go through that and now come out the end and we see the top tier product Mm. on the weekend is looking really good. Still room for growth, but fantastic. Mm. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's been a very seemingly steep and overnight success, but it's been a lot of hard work behind the scenes by a lot of different people. And um, yeah, it's all, it's going to continue. It's only going to get bigger and better. And I think that's probably the second most exciting thing for me. First yeah. being we're seeing girls footy all the way through from yep. juniors. And now, uh, yeah, we're going to just see the competition explode off the back of it. Yeah, it's anecdotal. But, you know, I, I live in the Shire now, so I drive obviously into Alexandria. And it's purely anecdotal. Maybe the timing is different. Like, I don't know. But all I know is I'm pretty sure on every Saturday I drive past and I see an AFL packed with men or young boys. And then I see a rugby league field. It's all women. Yeah. It's all young girls playing. Um, or I think it's Oz Tag that they play um, at a younger age. Mm. And it, th- those matches go all day. And yeah. so maybe the boys are playing somewhere else. I'm not sure. But it just shows you. I don't see a, um, a bunch of girls playing the AFL game. I see them playing something that is, you know, almost the gateway to rugby league. Mm. Um, so, yeah, as I said, like it's one of those things where I, I didn't really appreciate initially what a good product it could be. Mm. This is a first year when watching like, you know, even the women's soccer and that. I just think the NLW as a product, it's it's a battle we can win as a game. If we win that battle, like that's half the population. Yeah. And again, it's this is something that I've been very vocal about. I, I believe that we can be the premier women's sport in I Australia. Agree. 100% agree. And because we have such capacity for growth it's already a great product but the capacity for growth is there Mm. we could potentially in the future go to 17 potentially 18 teams in line with what the men's have uh then you have genuine double headers each Mm. club day men's and women's double headers uh you have standalone games that are proving very successful Mm. uh and you know it's just it's there and that participation as well that next level down is important and the reason i say that is because i know that in from 2016 to 2017 when we set up that first sharks team the participation in league tag league touch and tackle rugby Mm. league increased 800 percent wow in a year and nrl as a whole for rugby league, female participation has been the fastest growing area of rugby league. Mm. So it's, it's an untapped market and it's been double figure growth year on year since 2016, 2017. So there's definitely appetite for it. There's Mm. interest in it. And because we have all of those other pathways as well that lead into tackle, you don't just have to play tackle. You can play league touch, you can play league tag, you can play Oz tag, um, touch football and that's all under the umbrella as yeah. well and that's probably the most exciting part and why it does have such a good capacity for growth and yeah. there's so many you know again you don't just have to be a player either you can be a player you can be an administrator you can be a referee governance yeah, there's all of these incredible opportunities that our sport provides but mm. yeah i think as a as a sport i believe we we can be the premier women's sport in Australia. It'll take some work. Yeah, absolutely. It'll take some work. Absolutely. And there'll be a lot of people who say, no way, it's going to be something else. Yep. But that's great because, again, competition breeds innovation mm. and that's what we need to be successful. Well, all I would say is go and look at the ratings. Mm. Go and look at the ratings and tell me what domestic sport has more viewers than NRLW. Yeah. So it's like we've already got the facts to back up the fact that people watch it. Mm. People watch it. And I think last year, if I recall correctly or whatever year was that, there was one game that actually got close to a men's game. Yes. Um, 
and I don't know which game it was, but they the ratings were like they didn't get they didn't beat it, but they definitely were like pretty close. And it was in a a bad time slot, so I mm. think it was in like you know earlier in the day, maybe on a Sunday or whatever. And I think compared to the and this is not to you know throw shade at the netball, but I think they had like a grand final on in a prime time spot, mm. and the NRLW blew them out of the water in regards to ratings. So it's like the numbers are backing that up. Yeah, an appetite. It's yeah. and people love rugby league and. The thing is, as well, it's it's a different demographic, mm. as well. It's not just the same demographic yeah. as the men's, so yeah. it's not detracting from the men's game. It's just adding value, and we're just getting more eyeballs, fresh people involved, and that's also from a commercial perspective. That's what's happening too. There's mm. people coming on board to sponsor that have never sponsored rugby league before, yeah. and then they're getting on board. So it's like I said, it's a pretty pretty untapped resource oh, and absolutely. it's exciting to see it continue to grow and, and develop and I, I always say on my podcast like boys even if we want to be selfish the more women in the game means more eyes on the game means more revenue yeah. so even if the player like a young girl goes in plays till under 12s or under 16s or whatever never plays another game in her life she might watch it still yeah because she's engaged with the game now yeah. um so it's a win for everyone even absolutely. if you're thinking purely selfish about the men's game and it's all you care about um yeah, so it's it's super exciting, but yeah, take us back to a young run. What was it like? Obviously, growing up in Jerangong. Yep. What was it like growing up? Well, yes. So, eldest of five, eldest of five. Uh, probably everyone really knows my brothers, Ashton, Tarek, and Corbin. They've all had wonderful NRL careers, mm. and I have to. I have a sister as well, Kinesia or CJ. Uh, she also played for Fiji, yeah, for rugby league, but she played for Australia in gridiron. And uh, the boys, yeah, they were all, all good at footy and all good at Not cricket. A very talented family. Jesus. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so the backyard was always a bit of a battle zone <laughs> for, for us. Tough getting a spud at the table at the time, but uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. So Jerangong, a wonderful place to grow up. Yeah, you know, the life cycle in Jerangong was footy in winter and surf club in summer and school in between. Yeah, and yeah, we had a nice big backyard and we just. People would come around, we'd play cricket or we'd play footy or whatever yeah. else. But more often than not, it'd just be the five of us just going up against each other. And Ashton and I used to have to play against the three younger ones yeah. and we had to play on our knees. We weren't allowed, <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed to run at them. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, things would get things would get pretty heated. So as you can imagine, probably yeah. very competitive household. Yeah, I, I can imagine. <laughs> but uh, one way that our parents used to uh, sort of help us um, – just let out that little bit of uh, competition and frustration healthily. Every Friday night, we'd have Friday night fight night. So we'd push all the couches back, <laughs> yeah. push all the couches back. We'd have the fire going and we'd have the radio playing, like listening to ABC radio yeah. with listening to the footy mm. and or listening to music or whatever. And we used to, uh, yeah, just, just have Go at fight it. night. <laughs> and so it was like the rules were, you know, open-handed combat only <laughs> No, no punching, no biting, uh, no kicking. And the first one to cry got a smack and then the whole game was over. So if you, like, if you got smacked in the nose yeah. and, you know, your eyes start to water and yeah. you, like, things, your lip starts to quiver and the rest of the kids would be like, don't you do it, don't you stop crying. Because the game would be over. And yeah. then you'd, like, you'd just be sucking it back going, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I got this, I got this. And then, yeah, and then we'd just do that. So that was a really good little healthy way to get it all out. Yeah, it was wow. refereed by mum and dad, of course. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, good that start. was the Sims house on a on a Friday night, and then Saturday you'd rock up and play 
rugby league and then Sunday you'd go and play rugby union. So, so. did you did you play with um, young boys initially? And yes. Then then tried to find your way into the women's game. No. So I played junior. Like I played you know juniors. Mm. Ashton and I actually played on the same team no one year. Way. Yeah, I was in the middle, of course, and Ashton was on the wing. Oh he was on the wing. God. Yeah, he was young though. Into no, his, no, in his credit, care. he was young. He's part of the wingers club he was, now. Yeah, he was young. <laughs> so he played out on the wing and I played in the middle. And uh, no one knew I was a girl because I had this, you know, remember the old Madison headgear, you know, like the brown and white, mm. tan Madison and the shoulder pads. Yeah, the shoulder pads. So I had the pads. massive shoulder pads. <laughs> I'd have the big headgear and giant mouth guard. And you couldn't tell I was a girl no <laughs> until way. I That's took my uh, – headgear off so uh yes i played that until i was 11 and then there were no other avenues Mm. from that age so i moved into the basketball and and netball and obviously quite a physical basketball player (laughs) (laughs) and then uh very fortunate that i found my way back to footy through rugby union actually Mm. so when i was 15 uh my brothers played at kaima the kaima cows and we played there and i think uh we were just you know, giving first grade a little bit of stick because they hadn't won a game for a while. And they sort of threw a quip out there saying, well, you girls couldn't do any better. Mm. And then next thing you know, the next week we're putting a team together to get into no the way. women's competition down there. I had to get clearance to play, obviously, because I was only just turning 16. Yep. And uh, so mum mum and I, actually, I played footy for the first time with my mum, played rugby <laughs> union with my mum. She gave me my first ever black eye as well. No and, um, and then it was us two and then... Uh, a couple of other, like one of her friends and her niece, mm. and we just got a team together. And I remember uh, Rigo, our coach, and uh, he was hilarious. He just would just treat us like footy players. Mm. He didn't care that we were girls. He's like, I don't care. I just want you to be fo- good footy players. <laughs> and so he'd teach us good skills, tackle, all of yep. that sort of stuff, the ruck, the mall, all of mm. that. And our very first year, we uh, it was a tens competition down there. And... I was 16 and we won the competition in our first year. Oh, wow. And then as I was turning 17, it was my final year of, of high school, obviously, uh, and I got picked up by the New South Wales Waratahs to go and play up in Sydney. Wow. And so when I finished my HSC, I moved to Sydney with no other plan other than I'm going to play footy mm. and just made everything else work around it. So, yeah, so at 17 years old, moved out of home, moved to Sydney, lived with my auntie for a little bit and got my feet under me and just played footy. And so rugby union was actually my avenue back in. And it was it was pretty cool as well, because when I moved to Sydney, um, I was living in Ashfield, but I was Mm. playing for Easts, Mm. Eastern Suburbs Rugby Union. So I'd have to get two trains and a bus. And so I didn't have a car. What were you doing for work? Oh, Wait, waitressing, yeah. uh, sales, anything I could just make money so yeah. that I could pay what I needed to pay to mm. um, rent and then and travel mm. and then footy off the back of it. Mm. So it was, uh, it was tough but it was because I just wanted to do – that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I had no other plan other than I wanted to play footy. Yeah. And, yeah, mum and dad were a bit – I was surprised that they let <coughs> me but at the same time uh, dad said to me too, he said – he said, I've never been able to talk you out of doing something that you really want to do. So yeah. we just had to be okay with it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> we just had to be okay with it. Wow. And so, yeah, moved to Sydney, played rugby union. and So were, got, you, were you sitting there going, I want to be a professional rugby league player or yes. rugby player or sports footy. person? I wanted, yeah, I wanted to play footy professionally. And were people like, yes. what are you talking about? Like, yeah. come on, let's it be realistic. It doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was... No, 
1999. <laughs> <laughs> 2000. We'll beat that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, uh, yeah, so 99, 2000. And that was, yeah, so I was playing for the for Eastern Suburbs. I, I played for the Waratahs as well and I got picked up uh, to play for the Wallaroos. Mm. Uh, well, I was selected in the squad. And, you know, everything had come so quickly for me mm. at such a, in such a quick succession and I just assumed that I was just going to be successful at it. And I remember for 2002 World Cup for the Wallaroos, it was to go to Barcelona and oh I was God. like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be playing for sure. Mm. And I didn't get selected. No way. Yeah. So that was – there was – people always say blessing in disguise. I was mm. devastated. Uh, but it drove me. It just – all it did was kick me into another gear. Mm. I was like, okay, well, now I need to work for this. Like mm. natural talent's not going to be enough anymore. I need to, yeah. to really kick in and work. And – so I did. So that that was probably a real a kick in the bum I, I probably needed. Yeah. And you know, I just everything that I did then in my life was focused on playing footy, making mm. you know um, teams like making the Wallaroos, making New South Wales, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it was a really great opportunity mm. for me. It was also very, like I said, very challenging at the same time. Because yeah, you know you you. Almost making it sound like, you know, I just worked hard and got a butt. You know, when I say I worked hard, it's very different to when you say you worked mm. hard because you're dealing with a whole other set of, you know, norms or whatever that you're kind of fighting against. Yeah. You know, was it a, a cog, I guess, were you conscious or did you say, you know what, because you obviously grew up tough with your brothers yeah. and you, you get what, what men can be like. But at the same time, when you're out of that environment and you've got to deal with it yourself, was, mm. was it hard or did you just go, you know what, I'm just going to prove everyone wrong? Just blanked it. Yeah. Yeah, which – you know, it can sound a little bit <coughs> naive at the same time. But, yeah, I knew it was happening and I knew people would were thinking things and saying things, but I just couldn't let it affect me. Yeah. And one thing I know about myself that I discovered over time is that I'm a little bit like a, you know, those icebreaker ships. <laughs> Once I set my course and just <laughs> keep going, <laughs> just keep going, good or bad, yep. that's generally what happens. Yep. So uh, it's... That was – I just put the blinkers on and yeah. I just went, it doesn't matter. It, mm. it doesn't matter what other people think. It mm. matters what – if I can look myself in the mirror, mm. you know, what I say about myself, what I think about myself, what my family think and, and you know, how they support me. And, yeah, so that was it. It was just like, all right, that, this is this is my course. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. And, yeah, well. you know, and then I was so uh, – you know, a lot of hard work, like I said, but I made the 2006 – World Cup team for the mm. Wallaroos and I was a winger. So I'm also you're a winger. A winger. Now. Yeah. Yeah, you're part I was. Of the club. So I started <laughs> I started as a wing center. No I was very quick. <laughs> very very quick disturb like yeah, like quick. <laughs> and then obviously as you get older, you move mm. your way towards yeah. the middle of yeah. the pack. Uh, but yeah, I was a center wing and I made my debut for the Wallaroos against South Africa mm. in Canada at the World Cup there. Scored four tries. How good. Yeah, had, I like, just loved it. So I had, had loved that tournament. Yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. And that was just, it felt like, you know, the, like reaping the rewards of all the work that I'd put yeah. in. Yeah. And then from then just opportunities became <clears throat> more apparent. We, just, we got a lot more opportunities started to open up. So from there, um, 2008, we got wind that 
in 2009 the World Cup for sevens that they were going to have women's World Cup in sevens for the first time ever. Yep. And so Australia said, "All right, well we're going to put together a team and mm. and we're going to uh, we're going to have a proper crack at this." Yep. And in 2008 they put together a squad and we were going to Samoa mm. to go over there and play and play a little tournament uh, to qualify yeah. to get into the the World Cup the following year. So Oceania, I think it was yep. the cup. And Sean Mackay mm. was our coach yep. and he was one of the first coaches that believed in me unequivocally. Mm. Like he, the way he spoke to all of us players and the way he just imbued this sense of purpose and belief was incredible yeah. for such a young man himself yeah. because he was the captain of the men's sevens at the time. Yep. He gave up his own time to come and coach us and yeah, well, yeah. to take us forward. Mm. And so he took us to Samoa mm. and we went over there to play in the Oceania Cup and we wanted to qualify for World Cup in 09. That, yeah. was, our, that was our main focus. And we'd had a great camp. Like It was a really interesting squad too. It was... Um, Half of us were footy players yeah. from Union yeah. and the other half were touch girls. Yeah, so like, you know, like Bo Dela Cruz mm. was in there, yep. you know, all of these amazing touch players yeah. had come across and mm. were playing Union. And there was just this really you know, interesting mix. So mm. us girls who were Union players, we were sort of more the forwards. Yep. And then, you know, touch the sevens the girl, the touch girls were more the halves, the links and, yep. and the OBs. And, uh, and I just remember us uh, coming together and it was such a great mixture of people. Yeah. yeah. And there was like Alex Hargraves and Debbie Hodgkinson and Cheryl McAfee. And they were all like amazing union girls. And then we came across and we just, and you know, Selena Worsley was another one. And we just all gelled so incredibly. And yeah. we'd been to, in Samoa for a while. We'd been training really hard. It was stinking hot, you know. And then mm. there was this one night, Sean said, all right, we're going to go out for dinner. You girls can have a night out, you know, blah, blah, Anyway. So we go out, we had a good time, yeah, yeah obviously, because we're not professional, we don't, we don't really know, we had a good time, whatever. Yeah. And then the next day, I, like, you could kind of tell he was off us a little bit. Oh, really? And we were like, wow, he said we could have a good time. Yeah. Anyway, we go back and the next day he's like, right, what you girls did last night was so unprofessional. Like, you know, we've got a tournament in like three days. Yeah. I'm just, you're just going to have to run. I'm just going to oh, run you. And he know. ran us and oh ran us God. and ran us. No, no, no. And, but it was a good thing because mm. then all of us got together and we were like, no way. Like, you know, like we're going to do this. And yeah. the more he gave us, we were like, yep, sure, let's go. Yeah. Yep, sure, let's go. Whatever you need. Yep, okay, no worries. So there was no complaining. There was no moaning. There was no bitching. We just went, right, we're just going to rip in yeah. and just show him that, yeah, like we might be able to, you know, <laughs> Play hard. Enjoy ourselves a little <laughs> We might bit. be able to play always, <laughs> but we, we work smart yeah, and we absolutely. work well. And he, we did. Yeah. And then he had this amazing level of respect for us mm. afterwards. Yeah. And then we went into the tournament and we played. We get to the final. Mm. We're playing New Zealand. We lost to New Zealand in the round games. Yeah. And then we get to the, uh, the, the final for the tournament. And for the first time ever... Australia beats New Zealand in a rugby no in, a, in a rugby game. First oh, time ever. Wow. And a lot of it was from all of that work that we did in the lead up. Yeah, and you've got to include the night out too in that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it was more so, not so much the night out, but it was the way that we came together afterwards. Yeah, for sure. And then it was the way that Sean said, I respect the fact that yeah. I threw everything at you girls and you, you just thought, took it all yeah. and you said, all right, yep, more work. We'll do more, whatever you want us to yeah. do, we'll do it. 
And uh, so that was that. And then that's how we got on that road to glory for 2009. And in 2009, obviously, Sean was – he'd been selected for the Brumbies Mm. and he was over in uh, South Africa. And he watched us win – he watched us win um, from South Africa and he sent us all messages and it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, and then obviously, you know, he – he passed away not long, not long after, mm. and so I remember everything that we did then was was for him going forwards. So. Yeah, wow, mm. I mean, it's just the the fact that he was willing to, you know, he was a full time player himself, yeah. take all that time with you guys, and then you guys to repay him like that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's what you live for, really. Like, yeah, what else is more important than that? Oh, and like he was so incredible because as well, I remember I'd when we got back from Samoa and I was, we were back playing club and stuff like that because he was living, I think he was living in the eastern sort of suburbs area and I was in Bondi by then. And I had had a really bad injury at a game. Mm. I was playing for Waverley at the time and, you know, the cricket pitch at Waverley Oval. Mm. Oh, I'm from Gold Coast. So oh, no, you don't? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if anyone knows the, quick, the cricket pitch at Waverley yeah. Oval, yeah. torrid. <laughs> and I, I remember I got my foot caught in there and I got twisted in a tackle and, oh. you know, basically just my ankle joint got pulled apart, tib-fib fracture. It was, it was really bad. No way. Yeah, and the, one of the first people I rang was Sean. Yeah, wow. And I just said, oh, look, I, like, this has happened. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And he's like, all right. No dramas, right? Okay, well, you go do this, right? It's like this is what you need to do, da da da. And I remember he'd come and <laughs> he'd come and because I lived at this top, like at a unit at the top floor yeah. of oh. my apartment building, and he'd come and he'd like help, help like me help me down the stairs, <laughs> you know, and then he'd take me to go get whatever yeah. I needed and yeah. drop me up. And he was just this incredible human. He mm. was such a wonderful person. Yeah, wow. And he had such a profound uh, impact on on me and my. Um, self-belief yeah. and that thought process on ability and work and mm. all of that sort of stuff so well, it's like when you you know you may you, you probably would have still gone on to do what you did become the first player to sign a contract but you know his belief mm. certainly helped this you know and that's the impact that he's had and now look at the impact that you've had you know what i mean it's yeah. that knock-on effect of doing something kind for someone yeah absolutely and that's the thing like i'll never forget what he did for us mm. it did for the women's game but also for me personally he yeah. was like i said he was the first coach that actually mm. really spoke to me and saw my value mm. and was able to put that into words yeah. you know and that is that's really special as, mm. as an athlete as you know like if you get a coach oh, who yeah. can talk to you on that level mm. and imbue that self-belief in you that they have in you mm. and just you know amplify what good thoughts you have about yourself as a player yeah. and as a person you just you know what great things can happen off the back of it so yeah, yeah. that's something i've always i use still try and use now mm. especially when i speak to you know players that i'm coaching and especially ones that might be getting bad news yeah uh, because it's really important. It, it's mm. so important. And, yeah, so he was he was pretty amazing. Mm. And so 09 we won. No way. Uh, What's that feeling like? You know, the buzzer goes, oh, it's done. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. And it was in Dubai oh, when no we won. Way. We were in Dubai in 09. We were staying at the Atlantis Hotel. Wow. Like when it was first built too. Yeah, wow. Like it was just – and we'd never seen that level of opulence before. Yeah, like we'd crazy. never seen it. Yeah. You know, we're walking through the – you know. <laughs> The lobby and there's a massive fish tank with a baby whale shark know, swimming around wild, in it like, i, I <laughs> recently like, went like only six months ago for the first you? time yeah oh, absolutely wild crazy yeah. so yeah so we stayed at the atlantis and it was just yeah it was it was mental and mm. jason stanton was the coach yep and funnily enough jason stanton was the coach in 2016 when we you know um created that amazing start in uh 
NRLW or for the NRLW. So he was our coach in yep. 09 for the sevens and yeah, yeah very smart man, yep. very, very smart man. And we, yeah, so we, we had this incredible win and yep. it was in front of, I don't know, like 85,000, 80,000 people. No like way. it was at the stadium in the middle of nowhere. It was massive. I just remember noise and people yep. and heat and. Uh, oh, it's so hot over there. Yeah. Jesus. So and hot. it was in March as well yeah. when we were wow. there. And it was, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And then. Yeah, so we came back from that, came off the high, and I, I went to World Cup in 2010 for 15s mm. in England. And we came third there mm. in England, and that was John Menenti was the coach. He's mm. the current – I think he's the men's coach now for sevens. Oh, really? Yeah, Australian wow. sevens. He was our Wallaroos coach back then. Oh, and uh, oh, he's one of our coaches, I should say. And so that, that was a pretty incredible sort of moment. And, but, you know, obviously my body was breaking down and I, I needed a little bit of – yeah, rest and, and recuperation. And so I decided to take some time off yep. of footy. And that's when I decided that I was going to get into the fireys and I was going to pursue that avenue. Yeah. Uh, and then just out of nowhere, uh, Lisa Fiola contacted me and said, well, do you want to come and play some league out at Penrith Brothers or Waratahs? I can't remember which yeah. one it was. Yeah. She said, we just need a hand. Like just nothing urgent. Like just, yeah, nothing, if you crazy, just, come, just, yeah, nothing yeah. crazy. Just come out and have a play. Yeah. I was like, all right. So that was 2011 <laughs> that no I got back way. into it. She reeled you back in. She yeah, got you. She got me. It didn't <laughs> take long. And then, so then that just, again, that just kickstarted a whole new journey. Wow. Far out. I just, it's like, because you've skipped so many years and just gone six, nine, and then you're at 11. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm just so interested to know all the little details of the the tough stuff in between mm. there because it's 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 to do it non-professional like for example your injury yep you're not professional no so you're not getting paid to rehab that no and i think a lot of people may listening go oh, okay you get an injury yeah you rehab it you're all good to go yeah but when you're not professional yeah it's different whereas if if i'm in a, a bronco squad it's literally my job mm. every morning to walk in and I've got a whole staff rehabbing my ankle, getting yep. me back on the field. Whereas yourself, you're just like going to see the local physio probably or whoever yep. whoever you can. You've got to work, I'm assuming, while you're doing it. Yeah. Yep. It was – it is a lot more difficult yeah. because – but then it became a, okay, well, if I want to keep playing footy – and yeah. I had a lot of medical advisors saying you probably shouldn't play footy yeah, anymore wow. – uh, but I thought, right, if I want to play footy, I need to find ways to be better. Like I need to find way, find that extra couple of percent that yep. other people aren't doing because yep. I'm having to recover from this injury or whatever else. And, yeah, it would be that obviously because I was still part of footy club, so they could refer me to yeah. good doctors, but it was just a referral. Yeah. So obviously your health insurance pays for Ugh. some of it some of the insurance from the club pays for it but mm. then the rest is out of pocket yeah. and i've spent a lot of money on rehabbing <laughs> and injuries oh, over yeah. the years uh but again that was my choice it was mm. a decision that i made because i wanted to keep playing footy but it, it's tough so you end up uh yeah getting advice looking for other advice if you don't like the advice you get to start with just hunt around to doesn't get, sound like you do you, i know <laughs> just find the one that you like the sound of and you go oh, i'll go with your advice <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah just forge your way forge my way forward and mm. it was a lot of rehab it was a lot of um physio work it was because i was working um full time as well so mm. i'd get up before work so and in summer obviously i rode surfboats in summer mm. and uh, for bondi surf club and then i would have footy uh in winter and so if it was summer i'd be up at 
at four and mm. we'd be on the water by five, row, go to work. At lunchtime, I'd go and do my um, re- like recovery or rehab, whatever, or training. Yeah. And then I'd work and then I'd go to footy training or whatever else that night. And then I'd go back to work. Oh my God. And then I'd go home and I just like, that was my little... Yeah, Groundhog Day, and that was just—it was just a grind. Yeah, it was, wow. it was just a grind. Yeah. Um, but again, because I had that idea of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and where I wanted to go with it, yeah, uh, that's what kept me driving. Obviously, yeah. my my family and friends were incredible because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to maintain it if mm. they weren't in my corner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a grind. Mm. It, it is a grind, and you've constantly got to find new ways to be better, and mm. you constantly. Because there's always younger players coming up behind you as well. So yeah. you've got to try and find that extra edge. And mm. in particular, sort of the last few years of my <coughs> career, um, I started working with Justin Lang, who's mm. a very well-known exercise physiologist. Before any players had already sort of – any of the female players had been working with him. Yeah. And I discovered him through – I can't remember who I discovered. Maybe someone at the gym. Mm. Maybe Travis Young might have been mm. uh, the guy that got me onto him. And – then I started working with him and all of a sudden I was in the best physical shape that I'd ever been in. I was the oldest you know, player. Yeah, so yeah. just finding those little avenues of being better mm. and, and little ways to improve and, and maintain that longevity mm. was really important as it sort of got on. So when you, 2011, you around then is when you got into league? Yeah, got back into it, yeah. Did you, I, yeah, sorry, got back into it. Did you fall in love with it again? Like, I know you would have loved it all that time again, but you're, I'm assuming Union would have been – because you had so many good experiences in Union that yeah. you've done it. But when you got it back into your league, you're like, man, I, I miss league. Yeah. I missed it. I'd, I did. I had some wonderful times in Union. I mm. really, really did because there was no league avenue for me then. Mm. And I had a great time. But obviously at towards the end of my Union career, uh, the body was hurting. I was pretty mentally fatigued and – and I was getting older mm. and there were younger players coming through behind me and, you know, I had a couple of, I wouldn't say bad experiences, but experiences that kind of tainted my view of things. Mm. And I just thought, right, that's why I needed to just get away. And yeah. I, w- I was only going to take time off from union and then go back to it. Mm. Then this opportunity with league started. And the reason that I stayed with it was because – and why, it's also the reason why I'm always willing to put more back into league mm. is because it, it felt like to me when I got back into league that my love of footy had been reignited. Yeah. And I sort of felt towards the end of my career in Union I was just in a slog and I was just up against it all the time and I was mm. constantly having to fight my way through and, you know, nothing was ever, never easy, like nothing was ever easy sailing. Mm. Um, and so that when I got into league, I just felt free again and I felt this love of mm. the game. And that's why I, whenever anything came up about, you know, going to schools and doing clinics or talking to people or being involved in um, mental health campaigns with footy or anything like that where I could give back, mm. it was always easy for me to put my hand up and say, yes, I'll do it. Because mm. league gave me back my passion yeah. and my love. Yeah. And so I, I continuously feel like I want to continue repaying that mm. because it gave me something that I thought I'd lost. Yeah. And that means so much to me because, you know, that's part of my purpose in life. And that's yeah. part of it's, – it's such a massive part of my life. Mm. So that's why I'll, I've always got time for those kinds of things because, yeah, yeah – Passion was reignited when I got back into it. There is something special about league, I think. I yeah. don't know. Because it's like the working class game. I mean, we still have our issues. Don't get me wrong. We still have our issues. But 
I don't know. There's something a little bit different. Because oh, I grew up playing soccer till I was like 17. Mm-hmm. Very different to league. Like super different. Yeah. Um, I think league does does things pretty well, to be honest. I, as I said, we got plenty of stuff that we could be better at. But when it comes to like community, I don't know if anyone does it better. In that's the, the thing. It, like that's what I love about our game is mm. that community spirit and the mm. community feel. Mm. And even at that participation level, you go in. And when I go to clubs in the middle of nowhere, there's people involved there who they got involved because their children played. Mm. But their children aged out <laughs> 10 years before yeah, and they're yeah, still there yeah. doing it because they love it. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's, I think that probably is quintessential of our game yeah. too. So 2011, at what point did you – because like you signed your first – the first ever NRLW contract or mm-hmm. women's contract in rugby league in 2016? Yep. At what point in, from 2011 to 2016 did you go almost I want to create something here or, or was it always from 2011 – because it's, it sounds like, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, it sounds like you got back in just for purely the love. Yeah. You just wanted to play rugby league and it was a love. But then it feels like there's a period where you go, there's actually something that can happen here. Mm. It was, what did that happen or was it different? It was, I think it was probably from, you know, 97, mm. 98 was yeah, when, well, I, yeah. like, when I first went, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm. This is what I want to do. And I, th- I, this has to be a career. There yeah, has okay. to be a career path here. Yeah. And... I don't think it was my North Star. Mm. I don't think it was the main driving force, but it was always a thought in my head where I was yeah. like, there's, there's something here. Mm. And, I, and I remember when I was playing rugby union and my brothers were coming through the league ranks and they were being picked up by managers. Mm. And I remember speaking to one of the boys' managers and I, just, and I said to him, there's something here. Yeah. Like there, there's a potential here for something. Like, mm. Would you be interested in representing me? And he said, oh, look, there's... There's no like there's nothing that I can do for you. Like there's yeah, nothing there. There's no game. There's nothing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I think there is. Yeah. And that was it. I was just like, okay, there there is something here. There's yeah. something here. There's something here. Mm. And yeah, so like I said, it was never right at the front of my mind, but it was always there. It was always sort of that foundational level thing where I was like that this has a potential to be something incredible. Yeah. And then just as I worked, I got back in obviously because of the way I loved so I didn't know whether it was going to be union or league. That was going to be full-time. But yeah. I just knew that there was a female footballer as a full-time profession mm. would be an option. Yeah. And then getting back into league and then seeing how quickly league embraced all of these new changes mm. around the women's game, that's what made me think this is the space where yeah. something is going to happen. Yeah, like wow. this is the space. And obviously we, we saw incredible things in union where the women got into the Olympics. Yeah. And Cheryl, she was soon back then. Cheryl soon was, you know, face of it. She was our captain for yep. the sevens, and um, and so you know, I was hap- I was able to be part of that journey to help get that to Rio Olympics. Yep. And then that was sort of another thing that twigged for me. I was like, okay, well, they've got the Olympics. We need at league needs to have something that is going to be equally as good a draw card. Mm. And that's obviously just working through the system and seeing how things were operating. That's when things started to, to sort of twig. Mm. And then, um, like I said, 2013 was the first year uh, that the World Cup was fully funded mm. by the NRL. Yeah. And, yeah, and that for me, I was like, okay, well, we see what we've done here mm. with this Imagine what we can do if we have clubs that do this. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah imagine imagine yeah. how good the game's going to be. Yeah. And that just kind of snowballed things. And then 2015, 2016, obviously uh, Jason Stanton was working at Sharks 
and he was um, doing a lot of sort of that community work there mm. and uh, working in that um, ability space. And obviously I knew like he's an incredible coach, very, very smart man. Yep. And then we just sort of developed this, this – I think Tim Thorne was there as well. He mm. was par- a massive part of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we just thought, right, let's just do it. And we were so fortunate because obviously 2016 was a golden time for the Sharks, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you also know, for, you, for yourself, you, you first ca- you captain New South Wales yeah. to beat Queensland for the first time. 17 years. Yes, I know. That, that was actually really exciting, I, I will admit. So – I'll rewind that <laughs> a little bit because it was a massive, it was a massive moment. Yeah. Um, but also I remember being selected for the Gillaroos and uh, Steph Hancock was out injured. I think she had a broken hand. Stephen Folks spoke to me. Folksy. Folksy. And he said, oh, look, have you got a minute? And I thought, sure. I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> like straight all, away. Why do all league players do that? I know. And I, I was <laughs> what like, I do? Oh, what do I do? What have I done? I was like, and I'm racking my brain going, what have I done? What yeah. have I done? And I'm like, no. All right. Uh, anyway, and then he sort of sat me down and he said, look, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, if you would like to captain, be the captain mm. of the Gillaroos. And I just sort of looked at him like a stunned mullet. And he said, you're all right. I said, yeah, yeah. He's like, so – I said, I'm just thinking. And he's like, what do you mean you're thinking? I said, well, it's a big responsibility and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm up to it. Like yeah. I don't want to just say yes and not be up to it. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's why I asked you. I said, oh, okay, anyway. And then so obviously I said yes, yeah. and, um, which was pretty incredible. And then uh, Ben Cross was around the area and he came in while we we're in camp for Gillaroos. Mm. And he said, oh, you know, you got a, have you got a minute? And again, yeah, <laughs> what have I done? And then uh, we went and sat down in the lobby and we were just sort of having a chat at the hotel and he said, look, he said, folks, he beat me to it. He said, but I'm going to ask you to be our captain for New South Wales for this oh, year. Wow. I said, really? And he said, yep, absolutely. Like, I want you to be our captain. I said, oh, okay. And I was like, so I was a bit like bouncing around because yeah. I was like, holy, this is, look what's, like, this is amazing. I never thought three years ago that this would be happening. Yeah. And yeah, so anyway, we go through and... Yeah, we win. We beat Queensland for the first time in 18 years, I think it was. Yeah, wow. And that was an absolutely incredible moment. And we did it in Queensland. No way. We did it. At, we were at Gold Coast, Rabina Stadium. What was the score? I can't, oh, I can't remember. What was the score? 8 4? I was going to say 8. Was it 8 6 or 8 4? Yeah. Wow. So it was a four. close game to the death. Yes. And it was 80 minutes then, too. So not 70 oh, really? like it is now. So, so you know, fatigue. that last, yeah, that last sort of five, 10 minutes of each half, it was massive fatigue. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, I think one thing that really stands out in my mind is I remember uh, Ronna Peters played for Queensland at the time mm. and she was just tough and built low to the ground and she ran <laughs> hard and she was aggressive and. Um, I remember they were attacking our line and I was standing outside the post and our little number nine was in the middle of the post mm. and I saw Ronna spot her up <laughs> and they were 12 metres out, yeah. not long at all. And she just screamed for the ball and I just knew Beck was going to get rolled. Yeah, yeah. And I was like two players outside her and I saw it and I thought, no, nah, I can't, I can't, can't let this happen. happen. I don't care if I'm going to give a penalty away. And I just shot up blindsided runner <laughs> and managed to get her on the ground. Yep. And I was just like breathing a massive sigh of relief yep. going, Phew, no penalty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, so that was, that was pretty, um, that was pretty amazing yeah. sort of period of wow. time. 
but uh, yeah, it was 2016, a lot happening. I was going to say, you know, yep. that's when you signed the first contract as well. Yep. Yeah, what's that feeling like, you know, to, to put the pen to paper and be like, everyone, that, you know, said no. And I, they wouldn't have said it's not going to happen out of malice or anything. No, it it's just, just... They wouldn't have thought it. But you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Right, exactly. you don't know what you, what you don't know. And we didn't know how it was going to look and mm. we didn't know how it was going to, to pan out. Yeah. But obviously Lyle Gorman was a, a big... Um, believer in what we were doing mm. and he gave us that belief obviously like I said the club was in a really good place as well then yeah. they, they were riding high in the men's game mm. they ended up winning the premiership that year uh, so there was a wonderful feel mm. in the whole region yeah and we just thought right we just need to capitalize on this yeah. and you know, Jason Stanton uh, along with a lot of other people put together this incredible opportunity mm. and yeah and we just thought let's just do it yeah let's just do it what mm. you know what can they say? They yeah. can only say no. It's no. It's no good for us. Yeah, that's all they can say yeah. because we'd got clearances. Insurances were all covered. It was all done by the clubs individually. It yeah. just wasn't a sanctioned tournament. Yeah. So it was just something we thought. Let's just do it. Yeah. And like I said to you earlier, like off the back of that, our participation rates went through the roof. Oh, wow. And that's <coughs> what makes the game sustainable. Is mm. what that participation looks like mm. underneath. So, you know, I'm. I always get asked, you know, what. What's more important, top level or participation? But you can't have one or the one without the other. Yeah. You must have both at the same time, mm. and then they can meet, and then the middle gets filled out and fleshed yeah. out, and it looks more clear. Yeah. But you have to have both at yeah. the same time, and money has to be going into both mm. because there's no point having a massive participation but nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, look and at then, soccer in this country. Well, yeah, I don't know much about soccer. Well, soccer's participation is huge. Yeah, okay. Um, but the top league is obviously doesn't do, doesn't do that well. Yeah, right. Now, granted, they're fighting you know overseas leagues that are massive. Yeah. But it's an example of the fact they have this huge participation at a low level. Yeah. And then at the top tier, it's nowhere just to go sort of yeah. after that. So, you know, yeah. That is your point. Okay. Yeah, and so that's what you know. That's why it's really important that both are, yeah. are done at the same time and done well. Mm. Yeah. So that was um, yeah that was a massive massive undertaking and. Yeah. It just felt – I was scared. I was very scared. Yeah, well. Because I was putting myself out there mm. for – and I did cop a lot of ridicule and yeah. a lot of negative things. Um, and, yeah, when you you know what it's like. You put yourself out there, You the, invariably people are going to try and cut you down a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the positives – far outweighed it mm. far outweighed it so i just had to learn to grow a pretty thick skin <laughs> pretty quickly because like i know what it's like to a degree but I, it's not the same yeah it's not the same like oh, i'm a i'm a guy in a guy sport yeah you know so it's like you know people talk nonsense but yeah it's not the same deep kind of stuff that they yeah in regards to the women's game yeah so um, just growing a the thick contract? skin when you first signed the contract yes yeah it was it was so exciting and i was in at the club and yeah, I signed it. Lyle was there, and yeah, it was a very surreal moment. Mm. It was really surreal, and I sort of kept having to pinch myself, thinking, "Is this really happening? Like, is this really happening?" Yeah, yeah. And like I said, we did receive a lot of criticism, saying, "Why are you signing women when there's no competition? It doesn't make sense." But somebody has to take that first step. For sure. Somebody, somebody has to take the first step. Mm. Yeah, and the fact that the sharks were willing to do that was impressive yeah really impressive yeah. and they put their money where their mouth was but also they went out and got sponsors mm. yeah that was incredible to see that like you know earlier we spoke about there were there's sponsors now getting involved in rugby league that never 
had put money into rugby league before. Yeah. But then there's also sponsors who've been big contributors to league over the years, willing to put in more, yeah. not asking for it as an add-on to their current contract. They're saying, yeah, yeah. we'll pay for the women's. Absolutely. Mm. We want to be front of jersey or yeah. we want to be on the shorts or we want the sleeve. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I go back to you know, people that may be a bit like, oh, but it doesn't make a profit yet. And look, I understand that argument. Like I do as a business owner, mm. I get it. But with the market conditions, like it's a battle we've got to win regardless. Yeah. Like we have to, because it's going to happen. That's the thing. It's going to yeah. happen. It's just a matter of like when it's going to happen. Exactly. Um, and so when they talk, you know, for example, revenue, there are a lot of companies like Bloke, for example. You, you know, there's only certain things that I want to be associated with. Mm. And there's a lot of companies out there that they may not be interested in the men's game, but their company wants to be associated with promoting you know, opportunities for women. Yeah. And so that's a whole avenue of revenue that yeah. we open up to ourselves as a game if we do it in a really smart, measured way, not crazy and stupid or whatever. Like, yeah. for, for example, I'm not saying it's stupid at all, but I do think, for example, I think the AFL did go too big too mm -hmm. too soon. I think they should have been like a little bit, you know, um, whereas I think the NRLW is doing it the right way. Yeah. And a really steady, slow progress to where they're at. Yeah. And I think, you know, and especially at the start, obviously, as players, and it's so funny because I still consider myself a player. Mm, I, I was, I'm like, I, was <laughs> I know, and I've been retired. I'm an old duck. <laughs> but, you know, I'm constantly pushing, constantly pushing. Mm. And, you know, that's, I think that's a sign of a healthy working relationship when two parties can have different ideas of how things get done, but things still get done yeah. and it still moves forward. It doesn't mm. stay still. Mm. So I was always pushing for six from the start, mm. always. And I'm like, no, we've got enough. We've got enough. We've got enough. Yeah. And then we went to six. And I was like, we should be eight next yeah. year. And then they went to 10 and everyone was like, whoa, 10's too much. Yeah. 10's too much. And I was like, no, it's not. Let's go. <laughs> like, it's fine. Someone needs to push it along. And then, but it's not just me. There are so many yeah. other people there. And the ARL commission came up with the 10 mm. as well like they're the ones that said yeah let, we're doing this let's yeah. go yeah. and uh, you know and I think that just shows where their heads at mm. when it comes to the women's game as mm. well and like, I agree with you there's like I said there's other companies that might never have considered sponsoring rugby league in mm. men's but really want to be involved in a women's sport that is challenging norms and challenging stereotypes and pushing the boundaries and and finding new and inventive ways of getting women at the front of the sport. Yeah. Okay, so 2017, you were yep. captain your country mm -hmm. in the 2017 World Cup. What's that like? That was pretty special. Yeah. That yeah, was pretty special. So we had, there were three of us that were the captains, uh, myself, Renee Kunst and Steph Hancock. Mm. And it was, the competition was in Australia. Mm. Yeah. All of the games were played at Shark Park. No All the tournament games, which I thought was a really great yeah. nod to the work that the Sharks had done for them yep. to, to host that tournament. Mm. So all of the round games were played there and then we had the final uh, up in Brizzy, no which is pretty special. Suncorp. Yep, which is very, very special. Yep. And, you know, uh, we've had – actually, we've had a few special test matches up there. Mm. But uh, that one was, was fantastic and it was such a – because the tournament was so big and it was so tough and obviously we were trying to back up 2013's performance too mm. um so we were trying to make sure that we we had that win because we still we had nrlw wasn't happening then it was yep. just our state league competitions and we were coming together for camps and and things like that and testing and we'd have our own fitness programs would get sent to us we'd have to do it all on our own or with a couple of girls who lived in the area and mm. 
that's t- like that's really hard. Yeah, it's really really sure. hard to make sure you're at your top of your game. To stay motivated for that. Too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, and I remember I in the lead up to that, like the month before selection, final selection, we had a testing day, and I just got out of hospital i'd had influenza a for like three days and i had to go do testing (laughs) (laughs) and i was just cooked and uh like i hit the benchmark amazingly i don't know how i did it yeah but managed to hit it and uh and then yeah then we um yeah rolled into rolled into the tournament so what was the the final like obviously against new zealand yes yeah 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 it was it was amazing Yeah. yeah it was so good and there was a pretty big crowd building mm. by then too. So yeah. there was a lot of people getting their eyes on Women's Rugby League for the first time mm. live. And yeah, it was it was very, very special. It was a tough game too. Yeah. Like we won well, yeah. but it was a tough game. Mm. It was a really tough game. And I think Caitlin Moran kicked a field goal as well just to put the icing on the cake for us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a very, very special tournament. And then 2018, uh, you sign with the Roosters mm. for the NRLW, first the inaugural season. Why the Roosters? Well, Roosters, uh, because obviously I lived in Sydney and I worked in Sydney and the Roosters Foundation Club and an iconic foundation club. And obviously because the Sharks didn't get a licence in their first year, which I know that the whole area was devastated that they didn't get a licence in their first year. Uh, And when I met with the Roosters, uh, it was – very clear that they had very lofty goals mm. for the team and they what they were willing to do to put in and you know and you can see it now like look yeah, at look sure. at them go they're just yeah. a juggernaut now and mm. i remember our first year we did not start well we did not play well <laughs> 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 and then we managed to to get into the final and the broncos rolled us in the final that was a tough one to take mm. but yeah it was an incredible incredible experience just i didn't think i wanted i wanted it to be like wanted there to be an NRLW and I knew it was going to happen at some stage. But because I had known what the timeline looked like previously that I knew it wasn't supposed to kick off until 2020 or 2021, uh, I didn't think that I was going to get to be a part of it. So the fact that I I was able to was pretty cool. That's like over 20 years because of 97s when you kind of had it in your head. Yeah. So it's like what, 20 20 or 21 years since that moment to see an actual league spring up. Yes crazy yeah and and then also just from 2018 to today so in three in five years to see how much it's grown and how much better the competition is yeah. now man that five eights of the broncos is like oh yeah holy her footwork oh, is, yeah. is quality yeah. she's from sevens as well really yeah so yeah, gail wow. broughton she's from the sevens program from um kiwis Amazing. She's gone. Vani Polite yep. for the Gold Coast Titans, fullback. Yep. Yep. Incredible. Emma Tonegato moved to 5'8 for the Sharks yep. this year. Yeah. Another one that is just a star. Yeah. Grace Kemp is the, down uh, at the Raiders. The young one um, from the Knights with the headgear. Oh, Jessie Southwell. Gone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gone. And she's only 18. I know, young she's, as. Like, she has got the biggest future in this game mm-hmm. and she's got – the work ethic, she's got the attitude and she's got the skill set mm. and that she's got that hunger to constantly improve. Mm. So she'll be she's she's almost feels like and I I'm I'm not sure if she did or not, but she feels like nearly the first girl that kind of has played for a very long time in league to a degree. Like just the way she moves through like her footwork mm. is just yeah, I don't know, like I I feel like like unfortunately the generation before just didn't have the support they did but i think the girls that are going to come through in these next five to six years 
They're going to have played since they were like 10. Yeah. Which is completely different And not game. having to put a footy down. Yeah. But Jessie actually came through sevens as well. Yeah, so wow. she went com games yep. and stuff. So she, again, still had to sort of move away and, yeah. and do something else but came back. Um, but Shows you the strength of the game if we're getting sevens. Like they're playing for their country yeah, and they're going, yeah. nah, NRLW. Well, I tell you what, there is, there's a young girl who's part of the Aussie sevens team now who I had her come through the junior ranks at the Sharks. Oh, no way. Madison Ashby. Okay. When she, when she if if when I'm if just going to say when, when yeah. I'm going to I'm going to think positively and say when yeah. when she comes back to league she's going to tear the joint apart. Yeah, wow. She is so talented. Okay. So Maddie Ashby, I'd love mm. to see her back in in league because she genuinely from essentially a young yeah. girl all the way to now has yeah. stuck in a league. Or she union. had league. She had league, and then she went to union because. Why wouldn't you? You've got the opportunity to go to the Olympics. And I mean, it's a massive carrot. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. And then, you know, now as league, we've got to be really smart about the opportunities that we create. And our opportunities are, yeah. you know, say for Aussie Sevens, you might only have 12 girls that have full-time contracts. Yeah. For NRLW, in the very near future, hopefully, or at a minimum, we're going to have 10 teams yeah. that have full-time contracts yeah, full-time for squad. 24 players yeah, plus four development players. Yeah. And the current entry level for, you know, um, just entry level pay is $30,000. Yeah. For, a, for a four-month sort of period of time. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's more than what I was on when so, I came through. Yeah. And like, so that's, we've got incredible opportunities yeah. there. And it's only going to get bigger and better. So yeah. I think we're going to get a lot of cross-code athletes. Yeah. Oh, I th- I, you're absolutely right. Like, as I said, like, as a man coming out of like high school, you can, if you're good at sport, you can know that you can do it full time. Mm. Whereas if NRLW are, are really, you know, I know we're competing with AFL, but if we can go, you can guarantee to play a sport full time. Yeah. Like that's a big carrot. Yeah. Plus you played sport full time, but we're going to ensure that you have safe time within mm. your contract mm. where you can go to school, you can work, you yeah. can do all of these other things or run your business or whatever it is mm. that you need to do. Yeah. That's the biggest carrot. Yeah. Like that's the biggest and most important thing, yeah. you play sport full time, but also you've got dedicated time where you can pursue things that are other things in your life yeah, that have passion. Yeah. So that's like, that's pretty cool. what it's going to be like in 10 years. Oh, it's five years. <sighs> Just even in five years, yeah. can you imagine what it's going to be like? So true. So true. Pretty cool. Um, so the decision to hang them up. Yep. Because it would have stung so bad. Because it's been <laughs> so, what, 20, 25 year career yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. How did it come about? It was uh, it was a tough decision, but at the same time, I knew it was the right decision because it was every preseason was getting harder, and every training session I'd have to turn up ninety minutes before yeah, anyone else to do my pre prehab because you know like you've you got prehab yeah. before you do your warm up, so I'd be like. Pre, 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 pre-rehab. pre-rehab. <laughs> <laughs> you were still playing now, you'd probably rock up five hours before. Oh, I'd leave. No, <laughs> I just wouldn't leave. I'd just, <laughs> just set the swag up. Yep. Just set the swag up in the physio's Absolutely. room. Just live there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it just, it, it got harder and harder. Well, just, it became more and more work yeah. to do and it was taking a toll on, on my body and I just thought, now's the time, you know. And also, I had a lot of other things happening outside of playing that yep. I had some really wonderful opportunities and, yeah, it just became apparent to me that I'd I'd done what my role was as a player and now there were opportunities for me to do other roles outside of a player yeah. to help continue to grow the game. So and speaking of other roles, Channel 9, you obviously yes. up there. 
first of all, what's it like? And second of all, surely some dirt on the crew. Surely <laughs> some dirt on the crew. Oh, it's great. It's, it's really great. It's challenging. It's fast paced. It's really interesting. Mm. And like it's a dream come true for a footy nerd, right? Yeah. If you're a footy nerd, it's isn't it just the best job to talk about footy? League. Yeah, just crazy. Watch footy, talk about footy. <laughs> love you, love footy. Yeah, break it down. Well, you'd be talking about it anyway in a pub somewhere. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking to myself about it. Talk, I'd, I'd, even at home, I'd watch the TV. Even now, I'll watch and I'll talk about stuff, and no one's there. The do- and the dog's like. What Are you right? Hell? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, dirt on the crew. Everyone's a bit snackish. They love a snack. Love a snack. Love a snack. Who's the grumpiest? Come on. Uh, no one's really grumpy. Really? Especially when you feed them some sugar. Okay. Everyone's good. Fair everyone's enough. pretty good. Yeah, no grumpy. I've got heaps of dirt on my crew. Oh, do you? I hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us both. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, going forward, what's. You know, let's say the next 12 months happens perfectly, mm-hmm. completely perfectly, everything you could ever dream of. What do you reckon you're doing? Oh, uh, well, I would, if 12 months time, I'd yep. love to have it be that the women's competition started earlier in the year mm. and we've had an origin period in the middle of NRLW and then we're rolling towards finals yeah. now, but as a full year thing for the players. Yeah. So it's a full year contract mm. uh, and that's, you know, one of their main sort of sources of income. Yeah. And then obviously with that, I'm, I'm commentating and, and doing all of that sort of stuff uh, on the side as well. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'd love to see the game at next yeah. year within, within 12 months. Uh, well, Cause then crazy then, things. <laughs> yeah, well, then this is the thing. So then if you have that set up that way, then you can have New South Wales Rugby League and Queensland Rugby League, their domestic competitions can align with an NRLW team yeah. so that – if you're not playing NRLW, you're playing down. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and then – feeder clubs and that. Yeah, you've got your feeder clubs. So mm. then can you imagine how good the level of competition is going to be then yeah. when you've got players who – because at the moment, because there's no other competition to go to, the girls who don't play every week aren't playing footy. Yeah, okay. So yeah. they're not – their top-up is, as you see on game day, you play less than 20 minutes, you'll do that disgusting sprint top-up at oh, the end. Oh, yuck, at the end of the game, yeah, after the game. right? Oof. Gross. Yeah. So the flip side is if we have promotion relegation within within the teams and clubs, mm. then they're still playing footy. Yeah. And they've got an, a genuine opportunity to push for selection the following week. Mm. So – and they're not coming in cold. Yeah. They're, they're playing footy. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would love. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that happen mm. because then, yeah, obviously the girls are playing footy year-round and that level of competition, like how good it is now, it'll be – significantly improved yeah, absolutely now ask all the the guests this uh favorite rapper of all time rapper yeah favorite rapper of all time is lauren hill a rapper or is she more of a singer, singer? i mean she raps a little bit she raps a little yeah bit. yeah lauren hill i'll take yeah, that lauren hill maybe missy elliott i do like missy, missy elliott. elliott okay missy elliott yeah um and favorite movie of all time favorite movie of all time mm. um cool runnings <laughs> I know, I know. I don't know what it is. Like that used to be my like pump up movie. Really? Like I would watch it, like not straight before a game or anything. But like (laughs) if I'm yeah, yeah. If I'm away for a tournament or something, that'd be my little okay feels movie, and it would just get me a little bit pumped up. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. No uh, worries. It's incredible what you've done. Oh, thanks. That was good to be here. Love chatting about it. Boom, done skis.